You know, somebody told me once that asking which one was more important, um, Bible reading or prayer, uh, that asking a question like that was like asking if the right wing of an airplane is more important than the left wing of an airplane. Uh, point is, both are vital, right? Uh, in the Bible, God speaks to us. In prayer, we speak to God. Can you honestly get out, get on without either of them? Now, I know sometimes we, we try to end up doing that, unfortunately, in our own lives. Sometimes Christen, Christians try to get on with just one and consistently uh, neglect the other. Those Christians don't tend to do well. Their effectiveness for God, their joy in Christ, their zeal, everything is just dampened. It's like they're trying to run a marathon on a sprained ankle. Well, I'm actually not here to talk to you this morning about Bible reading or prayer. I'm here to talk about how we understand each other in this room. If I were to ask you, who's important at Redeeming Grace Church? What would you say? Who would you say? The elders? The deacons? Home group leaders? The ladies who planned or led or spoke at the retreat? The speakers? All of those are important. That's true. But would you say yourself? Now, out of a sense of humility, you might recoil at saying yourself, but put that aside for just a second and hear me, regular old church member. Do you believe that you are important? Do you believe that you have something to offer that is of vital importance to the health of our church? Our text this morning says that you are. It says that you are. Here's what I want to convince you of this morning. Brothers and sisters, every one of you, of all of you, none of you are superior or inferior to one another because every part of the body is vital for the health of the church. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You're going to get there. 1 Corinthians 12. So chapters 12 through 14 are all about spiritual gifts. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. It's spiritual because it's given by the Spirit when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift because it's something you're given and it is for the purpose of usefulness in Christ's church. Now, the Corinthians were a particularly gifted church. In chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him, 
in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed about you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. So this church was characterized by spiritual giftedness. That's a great thing. Problem was, this church was also characterized by some not-so-great things. They were prideful, tended to think pretty highly of themselves. They were immature, so they tended to, to value what seemed flashy or impressive, not necessarily what was helpful or true or good. There was one-upsmanship in this church, so I'm more useful than you, or I can do this better than you. There was envy and jealousy at this church. I wish I was like that person. People didn't like other people, but in reality, it's just because they wanted to be other people. Do you know what I'm saying? And there was division. So they're just a bit of a mess, and that's why Paul writes to them. Now, last week... The focus of the text was really unity in diversity. So different gifts, but they're given by the same Spirit, and there are different gifts, but they're given for the same purpose, the building up of the church. Unity amidst diversity. Unity in the body of Christ amidst diversity of gifts within the body of Christ. That was Paul's message last week. This week, it's really unity within diversity round two. And he gives this week... A body analogy. He says each church, each church is like a body. There are many parts, but there's only one body. And many parts are all needed for that one body to function well. Well, let's read verses 14 through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, I'm, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are yet many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. There may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? 
Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So stepping back, I see three main sections in this text. And you'll see them on your sermon outline there. Number one, Paul speaks a word to those who don't think you have much to offer. Verses 14 through 20. Number two, Paul speaks a word to those who think you don't need what others have to offer. That's 21 through 26. And then number three, Paul speaks a word to all. So let's just start with the first. To those of you in this room who don't think you have much to offer, what does the Apostle Paul have to say to you? You are seriously mistaken. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but many. This is kind of a duh point, um, but it does establish an important reality that we shouldn't just run right over. And that's that's very simply, bodies have many parts. Many parts are needed. Many parts bring many needful things. So if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of a body, of the body. So Paul is speaking here to those who think themselves not very useful. To those whose gift may seem relatively insignificant. Perhaps to those who feel as though they just don't bring much to the table at the church. Maybe there were brothers and sisters that thought, you know what? I just really don't belong here. I'm, I'm just not this caliber of a person. I don't, I'm not able to do the things that, that this person is able to do. And, and maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you look around and maybe, frankly, you think, you know what? I don't bring much to the table. I, I don't teach. I don't have a leadership position. I'm I'm frankly just, I'm not very useful. Maybe that's what you think. It seems like at Corinth there was kind of an in crowd and kind of a not so in crowd. So there were those with flashy gifts like tongues or the interpretation of tongues. And there were those with more public gifts like teaching and prophecy and in truth, more public gifts are by definition more visible. They appear more important than less public gifts like helping or administration. Both gifts we'll read about in a minute. But so what you have at Corinth is this. Whether out of pride, in other words, those who had the more public gifts were were kind of vaunting themselves, or whether out of envy, those who didn't have the more public gifts were envying those who did. There's an in crowd, and there's a not so in crowd. And that's exactly what you see in this text. Because I am not, dot, 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 I don't really belong. 
I, because I am not, dot, 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 I don't really matter. But that is simply not true. Every part of the body matters. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Paul's point, every part of the body is significant, needed. If the whole body were a single part, then something would be missing. Further, if the whole body were a single part, then the body would be grotesque. (laughs) Imagine, you know, an alien whose face is nothing but an eyeball. That's just weird, okay? So, every part of the body is significant. Every member of the church at Corinth, every member at Redeeming Grace brings something to the table. You are useful. You are needed. You are important. Whether or not you think so, you have a role to play. And it's God who's actually given you that role. Verse 18. But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body Each one of them, as he chose. We see God's sovereignty here. He has arranged the members in the body as he chose. We see God's care here. He has arranged the members in the body, each one. That includes you, as he chose. And we see God's wisdom here. You are what you are, and you are who you are, and you are where you are in the body of Christ by God's wisdom. So whether you are a pinky toe, a belly button, a right elbow, a left eyeball, God has placed you there. You are not there by accident. You are there by his wisdom, and he intends for you to be useful. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Brother or sister, member of Redeeming Grace, listen to me. If you don't think you have much to offer, the Bible just says you're flat wrong. The body, the church, is comprised of many different parts, and all of them are needed for the proper functioning of the whole. Do you know what the devil wants to do? He wants you to believe the lie that you don't matter so that he can sideline you from blessing Redeeming Grace Church. He wants you inactive so through envy or jealousy or pride or simple discouragement, he wants you to stop looking for opportunities to bless and serve and love and build up. And instead, he wants you to sit there and think, I don't matter. He wants you to sit there and think, nobody would notice if I was gone. And if he can get you there, he's got you exactly where he wants you, your sideline. You're not playing your role in the body. You're just sitting, obsessing about what you're not or what somebody else is. You're probably feeling sorry for yourself. You're probably not liking your brothers and sisters who seem more significant than you. And this is so terrible. 
this actually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We actually might not notice if you're gone because you've taken yourself out of the game so long ago. All of that is the devil's doing. He's tricked you. Stop listening. Stop listening. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop envying. Stop believing the lie that you don't matter. Currently, you are sidelined, and the reality is we, the church, your brothers and sisters, we need you. You are part of the body. God, in his wisdom and care, has placed you here to serve and love and bless and build up. The church needs you. So that's Paul's words to those who think you don't have much to offer. Verse 21, though, he changes gear. And now he speaks a word to those who think you don't need what others have to offer. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So what is this? It's just the opposite side of the coin. So there are those who think they aren't needed and there are those who think they don't need others. So there are those who have too low a view of their usefulness in the body of Christ. And then there are those who have too high a view of their usefulness in the body of Christ. And Paul now speaks a little bit more to the latter group. And what he says to them is the same thing in principle that he said to the previous group. You are seriously mistaken. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You know, let me just tell you, everybody knows this is true. You don't know how useful and important some part of the body is until it is out of whack and doesn't function rightfully. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting slightly older My son got me into the gym a couple of years ago. I've always been a runner, but he got me into the gym to start working on some strength training. And a couple of months back, it was actually two months ago, almost to the date, I was really trying to amp up my weight on leg day, and I went down on a squat, and I came up, and something hasn't been right in my lower back ever since. I'm going to physical therapy, seeing the doctor, He's like, I don't think you slipped a disc. I don't think anything, you know. He's like, not a big deal. You've just tweaked something in your back. I'm like, why does this keep hurting? I can't sit without this thing bothering me. I can't run. My stride feels painful every time I try to run. It's been almost two months. What have I done? He's like, just tweaked it. Just rest. I, I, don't, I don't notice this, whatever this little muscle is back here until it doesn't work right. And then I notice it. And then I notice just how important that little seemingly insignificant muscle is. It's hugely significant. Although in all reality, I wouldn't have known it to be so before. Same in the body of Christ. 
those parts that are less visible or less upfront or seemingly insignificant are hugely significant. Look at verse 23. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. This may seem a little bit confusing. Let me just make it simple for you. This is an analogy from the human body here. And the body parts that are less honorable or unpresentable are probably sexual organs. We we simply do not display those to others. They're not visible or they shouldn't be visible. But they are indispensable. And we treat them with, with greater honor by treating them with greater modesty. Point is, it, it doesn't follow that less visible service in the church, less obvious service in the church, doesn't mean insignificant or unneeded. Every part is significant and needed. There is no room in the church for the quarterback to think he doesn't need the lineman. There is no room in the church for the striker to think he doesn't need the left defensiveman. The highlight reels don't highlight those guys when the goal is being scored or the touchdown is made, but they are absolutely vital. I wonder how many of my sermons have been given wings by the Spirit because of the consistent prayers of the saints that no one knows about. I wonder how many of our children have come to faith because of the consistent prayers of the saints that no one knows about. I wonder how many times brothers and sisters did not give way to temptation because of the consistent prayers of the saints that no one knows about. I wonder how many times those brothers or sisters have been upheld in their suffering or sickness or heartache because of the consistent prayers of the saints that no one knows about. I wonder how many evangelistic opportunities have been seized upon because of the consistent prayers of the saints that nobody knows about. And all I've focused on for just a moment is prayer. I could talk about quiet acts of service. I could talk about unseen words of exhortation and encouragement. I could talk about unseen acts of mercy. I could talk about all sorts of stuff done by all sorts of you. And do you know what? It's all vital. You're all needed. You are needed and you need others. And what's more, again, We are reminded that we are who we are with our particular giftings and abilities to serve due to God's good design. But God has so composed the body, verse 24. To what end? Verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God has composed each church to be made up of many different parts for the purpose of unity and mutual care. 
for unity. You know, I don't, I don't think the Corinthians were thinking about their different giftings as being for the unity of the church. I don't think they were, but they are. God has made us gloriously interdependent. Nobody can say they're not needed and nobody can say they don't need others. There's this wonderful mutual interdependence that God intends the local church to display. Which then in turn leads to mutual care. If any member suffers, all suffer together. If any one member is honored, all rejoice together. I think of other texts that communicate this similar idea. You probably know them. Romans 12, 15, and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Galatians 6, 2 and 3. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You, you see, when we, when we see each other Truly, as one body with many members, as members who are each important and none insignificant, that leads us to care for one another. When there's a suffering member, we're not unmoved by that. We move to that member in sympathy and care. When there's a member who's honored, we're not jealous of that or envious of that. We rejoice with that member in that. You see, God has designed His church to be composed of many different members, yet be a unified body that cares for and builds each other up. Well, now Paul wants to speak a word to everybody. We've spoken to those who think they don't have much to offer. We've spoken to those who think They don't need what others have to offer. Now Paul says, I want to speak a word to all. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So this is a summation of what he's been saying so far. You are the body of Christ. Please note, that's actually spoken to and addressing the local church at Corinth. And we are to learn from this that each and every church viewed biblically is a true church. It is not the case that each part of the church is part of the universal church and redeeming grace is like the big toe in the universal church or we're like, you know, the, I can't even think of a goofy name if I tried, I'd mess it up. But it's not like we're a small church as part of the universal church. According to the New Testament, each church is a true church. And he says, you, church at Corinth, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You, Redeeming Grace Church, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So we are a true church at Redeeming Grace Church, just like the Corinthian church was a true church in Corinth. We have many members, but we are one body. And we are gifted differently. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer, of course, is no. 
And this is a list, to step back for just a second, this is a list of gifts operating at this point in time in this church. So there's, there's three foundational gifts that are mentioned up front. He says God has appointed in the church first apostles, second, second prophets, third teachers. So apostles and prophets were part, literally, were part of the foundation of the new covenant church. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. They're foundational and significant gifts. Apostles were those who had seen the Lord Jesus Christ and been commissioned by him to be his witnesses. Prophets were those to whom God revealed his divine word authoritatively and they declared that. And then teachers, of course, explain the word of God. Prophets speak the word of God as it's given to them instantaneously. Teachers, like myself, teach the word of God as it's been given. And so God gives apostles, prophets, and teachers. And then he lays out other gifts, miracles, Gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Now, by the way, I just want to remind you, in a few weeks, I'm going to talk more about gifts, which ones are operating today, which ones aren't. Paul's point is, there are different gifts, and not everybody has the same gift. And it's actually interesting that tongues are named last, probably due to the fact that the Corinthians were so excited about it and boasted in it. But Paul puts it as last because it's actually not all that significant. And then strangely, he closes with this odd phrase. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. What does that mean? In a sense, it seems to work against what he's been saying, that everyone is significant. But that actually doesn't work against what he's been saying, that everyone is significant. There are higher gifts, and I think he's referring specifically to the list that he stated, apostles, prophets, and teachers. He says, you you should long for the higher gifts. Why should you long for the higher gifts? Because you want to be useful. Why have gifts been given to the church for the building up of the church? So you should actually desire to be more increasingly useful to the church. So it's no foul, in fact, it's good to desire to, in some sense, be a teacher that you might impact the church for greater good. That's a fine thing to desire. And yet, he closes by saying, I will show you a still more excellent way. That's next week when he talks about love. That if we are operating in our gifts and yet not operating out of a desire to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we are way off base. And so how should we apply these things to us? First of all, if you're here and if you're a non-Christian, I realize this strikes this may strike you as a really churchy sermon. It doesn't seem to have significant applicability to your life. Can I say to you that it does actually have significant applicability to your life? And what I would say to you is, 
if you really want to be useful to the Lord, you have to first come to understand that you bring nothing to the table to serve the Lord. You have to first understand that the Lord has actually come here to serve you in living the righteous life that you should have lived, in dying the death you deserved to die, and rising again and offering you forgiveness and life if you will turn from your sin and trust in Him. You see, the Lord actually doesn't employ you in His service. He doesn't employ me in His service because we're tall, tan, and terrific. He employs us in His service because He has shown grace to sinners who've rebelled against Him. And in order to be useful to Him, truly useful in things that matter and will matter unto eternity, we must first come to understand that we bring nothing to the table. We're not all that special. None of us. And when we come to understand that and understand that He has come to save us by dying and rising again, and when we place our trust in Him and are forgiven, then we can be useful. Then we can be useful. So my encouragement to you is to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ Now to my brothers and sisters, I just want to ask you, are you zealous to build up the church? Are you zealous for any and every opportunity to minister God's grace to one another, whether seen or unseen? Are you zealous to give? Are you zealous to evangelize? Are you zealous to help? Are you zealous to pray? Are you zealous to care? If this text were hitting home, I think we in our church would see a broadening of, an expanding of zealousness for spiritual usefulness in the body of Christ. I think we would see a broadening of and expanding of zealousness for the common good. I think we would see a broadening of and expanding of a greater appreciation for those of us who are different and a greater zeal to appreciate, know, and value them. To all of you, I want to encourage you. Be more imaginative of ways you can serve the body. Be more imaginative of ways you can serve the body. To all of you, particularly young people, aspire to be a churchman when you grow up. A churchwoman when you grow up. Aspire to be the person who is happy to serve in Sunday school all the days of your life. And when you die, every single kid that you minister to wants to be at your funeral because you were useful. Aspire to be useful in the body of Christ. Remember, brothers and sisters, eternal significance is found in our labors for one another and for the gospel. Jesus said, whoever gives a cup of cold water 
to any one of these little ones who trust in me, you will not be forgotten. Oh, praise God for that. We are many members, yet one body. You are gifted differently, yet you are all significant and needed. I encourage all of us to think more deeply, to pray more fervently. God, help me to bless this church. Boy, if that really began to take root. Look out. I don't, I don't know what would happen. Uh, and let me just tell you, I am so encouraged at the fact that when I talk about these things, I know it's received with a desire to do just that. And I would just say, brothers and sisters, excel still more. Excel still more. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, thank you for saving us and thank you for enlisting us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.